Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. How many of you this morning would say that you are creative? If I were to ask you, are you creative? How many would say, yes, I'm creative? Well, here's the truth. It's that each and every one of us have a level of creativity in us. Some have more than others, but we all have a level of creativity because God's a creative God and he created us in his image. So have you ever used your creativity in a positive way? Maybe you solved a problem at work or you creatively fixed something in your home that was broken and you used your creative mind to fix it so you didn't have to pay that $100 service fee for someone to come out and tell you what was wrong. Have you ever created a meal that just tastes amazing and you did it from scratch, you didn't follow a recipe, but you decided to use your creative gift just to cook and create a great meal? Now conversely, how many of you have used your creativity in a negative way? Maybe to get out of a jam. Maybe to break the rules a little bit, you had to really get the creative juices flowing. Maybe you did something wrong and you had to creatively cover it up. No, nobody, just me, maybe, that's all. (laughs) See, inside each of us is this need for challenge and creativity. And some people use their creativity or their influence or their money to make the world a better place, to end social injustices, to give to people in need. And some people use their creativity to make more money for themselves in dishonest ways, to steal, to cause harm, to gain power, and to gain control. See, we have creativity, but we determine how we use that gift of creativity. So we will either be influenced by God's creative challenges or influenced by the enemy's creative challenges. And that's happened since the beginning of time. And we're in a series called Loving the One in the Mirror, and this is the last part of this series. So we've talked about all the emotional needs that every human being on the face of the planet has and how the word of God backs up those emotional needs. And we've tried to give practical application each week to get these emotional needs met. We talked about our need for, to give and receive attention, to have a sense of control in life. We talked about our need to make a connection to a community and contribute to that community. We talked about our need to understand how our spirit, soul, and body are all connected. We talked about the need to have a sense of safety and security in life. Last week, Joy talked about what it means to have purpose and meaning. And I wanna end this series by talking about our need for challenge and creativity. When I was young, when I was a kid, My parents thought that I was a little uncoordinated. 
This is what they would tell you, is that I was a little uncoordinated, so they decided to put me in karate, in taekwondo, and they thought that would help with my balance in life. And so I started taking taekwondo lessons when I was young. And it was fun at first. You know, you you, you have a lot of different things that you get to learn when you take Taekwondo. You know, you get to spar with other kids. You get to learn these new forms. You get to learn blocks and punches and takedowns and how to break boards. And there's a lot of challenge and a lot of creativity in it. And as I began to continue in it, I decided, like most kids probably do, around green belt or orange belt, I was probably done with Taekwondo. However, my parents encouraged me to keep going. And when I say encouraged me, I mean they told me you're not quitting till you get a black belt. (laughs) It's good encouragement. So I continued on, and I'm glad I did. Because as I learned more and more, I was able to have a lot more challenges and be a lot more creative in my early years. And I'll never forget my black belt test in Taekwondo. I was getting ready to to do this test, and there was all kinds of different things I had to do. You, You know, I had to do pad work, I had to spar, I had to break some boards. But the very last challenge was this. They said, you've got to turn your back to us. So I had to turn my back. And then behind me, they were setting up four different stations where I had to turn around and there was going to be boards I had to break, four different boards. I wouldn't know how to break them. I would just have to react and break them. And I only had 10 seconds to do it. And if I didn't do this, I would not receive a black belt in Taekwondo. Now, I had invested six years of my life into this. A long time. And so I was feeling the pressure, and I'm, I'm turned around. I don't know what's going to come at me. So, so he says, okay, go. And I turn around, and I got 10 seconds, and the crowd's yelling, 10, 9, 8, 7. I'm breaking boards. I don't even remember how I broke them. But the last board, the time had run out. Just kidding. I, it didn't run out. I ended up breaking the board and got my black belt in Taekwondo. <laughs> So it taught me a lot of great things. It was a sense of accomplishment early in life. I had a black belt in Taekwondo and it taught me self-control and self-discipline. And they taught me to only use this in self-defense, only to protect yourself or protect someone else. Well, how many people know that a 15-year-old's not always capable of making that (laughs) distinction in life? You know, is it self-defense or is it, you know, necessary in this moment. And I remember uh, sometimes I would invoke the Cobra Kai rules, strike first, strike hard, no mercy, instead of the Mr. Miyagi self-defense method. And I'll never forget this one time, I was, it was my freshman year, I was 15 years old, and we're standing around a group of friends. And I had learned just to kind of react to things. You got to understand, I've been taking Taekwondo for six years. And so I'm in this group of friends, and this guy, one of our friends is kind of mouthing off to me, and he's making fun of me. And, you know, we're in a big group of people, maybe eight, ten people. And 
He said some kind of joke and kind of pushed me a little and said some kind of joke and everyone started cracking up. Well, this little rage began to rise up inside. And the self-defense kind of went out the window at this point. And I remember I did what I was taught in Taekwondo, the sleep, sweep the leg method. So I was right here, and I did, I, I went to kick, and you had to hit them right on, you know, the calves in a certain spot for it to work, and it worked beautifully. <laughs> I mean, I just reacted, I kicked him, and before I knew it, this guy was parallel to the ground, his body, and he fell hard right on the floor and was writhing in pain, and everyone was shocked, and I said, who's laughing now? Like I said, I don't encourage violence. I'm not violent. I probably still could sweep the leg, but I'd probably pull a hamstring in the process if I tried to do it now. I don't encourage you to react this way. I'm just trying to tell you that there was this challenge in creativity, and you could use it in a positive way, but you could also use it in a negative way. And it's kind of like that with everything in life, right? You look at things on the internet, I mean, there's a lot of positive things. People are using uh, creativity to make videos and impact the world and change the world for the kingdom of God. On that same internet, people are using the enemy's tactics for creativity to try to hook young kids into pornography or things that they shouldn't be involved in, right? You've got this thing going on in life. So we're either influenced by God's creative challenges or we're influenced by the enemy's creative challenges. And God is a God of creativity. You see it way back in the book of Genesis. When God, look at the creation account, you see this creative God just starting to move things around, this artist putting this world together. And it's beautiful, and everything he does is strategic and creative and challenging and scientific and artistic. It's beautiful. And then he decides to make man in, him is in his image. And he makes Adam in the garden. You know what he does? One of the first things he does with Adam? Genesis 2, 19 through 20, he says this. Now the Lord God had formed him out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man named each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. The first thing, one of the first things God does is say, I'm gonna give you a creative challenge. See, all of these creatures, it's your job to name them and to memorize those names and to pass those names down to everyone. I can just see Adam like, hey, that's a lion, that's a bear, that's a sheep, that's a cow, that's a sloth. How many people love the sloth? I love the sloth. It's a great, great animal. Great name for it, too. But then God creates Eve and gives man another challenge to try to understand the mind of a woman. I mean, what a challenge he gives them right off the bat. But God's a creative God, full of creativity. And he, he gives us that gift of creativity and he wants to challenge us, but the enemy likes to twist that. 
And the enemy likes to convince us this is what God would want for you, even though it isn't what God would want for us. And he did that with Adam and Eve. As they walked in the garden, God said, hey, you can eat. This is the most beautiful place on earth. You can have anything you want. Just don't eat from that tree. And what does the enemy do? He comes into the garden to Adam and Eve, and he says, look at that tree. God wants you. He's challenging you to see if you'll eat of that tree. He doesn't really not want you to eat of it. He knows that if you eat of it, you'll become like him. You'll know good good and evil. You'll be even more creative. You'll be able to solve more challenges in life. Just do it. And so they do. They use this creativity, this challenge, and they take part, and then their eyes are open, and they do understand good and evil, and it led to sin entering into this world. See, we will either be influenced by God's creative challenges or influenced by the enemy's creative challenges. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, one of my favorite characters to study is David. I love David. I love looking at his life. And David, he was the son of Jesse. And he was the youngest of 12 boys. Talk about someone who needed to learn Taekwondo. I mean, the youngest of 12 sons. I can't even imagine what that's like. I had one brother, and it was enough. (laughs) 12. And he was in charge of the sheep. He was the shepherd. And his brothers were all off at war. It was a battle between the Israelites and the Philistines was going on. So there was this battle taking place between Israel and Philistia. And it was happening in the Valley of Elah. Now, I got a little map. I want to show you a few things on this map. So here's the Valley of Elah. There's where a battle was about to be fought between Israel and Philistia. Here's Gaza. Imagine that. There's fighting and tension there, even back then. So then you have Bethlehem over here, which is where uh, Jesse lived and David lived, right here. And this is where the battle was being fought. So not too far from Jesse's home. So Jesse encourages David to go out and see how his other sons are doing on the battle lines. And this was a strategic area to control. This was an important piece of land because this was where all the good farming and the coastal plains for grazing, all the animals could graze. So this was an important plot of land that they were fighting over. And these two had been going back and forth, back and forth, all the way since Israel took over the promised land. There's been war, there's been different fights happening. So Jesse tells David, I want you to go to the front lines, and I want you to see what's happening. Bring some food. Bring some good things for your brothers. So this is what the story says, 1 Samuel 17, 20 to 24. It says, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed him to. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked the brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, 
stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it for the first time. And whenever, he, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So each day, Goliath would come out. The two would, would, would face each other, the Philistine army, the Israelite army. But what happened was Goliath would come out, and he was challenging one Israelite to fight him. This was a one-on-one -on -one battle. Winner took all. We're going to fight one-on-one, -on -one, and if you beat me, then you get this land. But if we beat you, then you become our slaves because we already have the land. So this is what Goliath was trying to challenge the Israelites on, and he was a scary man. In fact, Goliath was a giant. The Hebrew interpretation, interpretation of the text puts him at nine feet, six inches tall. The Septuagint, the Greek Septuagint, interprets it a little differently, puts him at six feet, nine inches tall. Either way, he was a giant of a man. He wore armor, body armor, that weighed 125 pounds. He carried a spear that the tip of the spear weighed 15 pounds. And he was challenging the Israelites to a one-on-one -on -one winner take all fight. Now, the average height of the Israelites back then was five foot three. So you got a six foot nine to 10 foot tall giant and a bunch of five foot three people. I would have been tall in this culture. That's what I love about it. So you can see why this guy incited so much fear into the Israelites, because it was a one-on-one -on -one fight. So let's keep reading, 1 Samuel 17, 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out every day to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now David happened to overhear this. And he said, excuse me, what would the king give to the person who beats this giant? Oh, he's gonna give you his daughter's hand in marriage, great wealth, and no taxes for your family ever again. Pretty good deal. So David mentions, I think I, I want to take on this challenge. Well, word gets back to King Saul that David, a guy named David's willing to fight the giant. So Saul brings David into his presence, and then Saul looks at David. And he says this, 1 Samuel 17, 32-33, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on the account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Can we just hold on a second? <laughs> Have you seen these Instagram reels of these lions and these bears like running at people? 
And here's David who says, listen, if one of those lions took one of my sheep, one, I don't know about you, but that sheep would be gone. I'd say, I love you, God bless you. You're now a meal for that lion. Circle of life, it all works out. But not David. He went after the sheep. He grabbed the lion by the hair and killed it with his bare hands. It's the kind of warrior he was and the kind of favor he had on, that God had put on his life. And he says, your servant has killed both the lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, otherwise this heathen Philistine, will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. Saul said to David, okay, go. May the Lord be with you. Now this is an important time in Israel's history because you kind of see the changing of the guard between Saul and David. Saul was king, but Samuel had already anointed David as king, the next king of Israel. And the truth is, Saul should have been the one to fight Goliath. The Bible says that Saul was a head taller than any of the other Israelites. I don't know how much taller a head is from 5'3", but probably close to six feet tall. He should have been the one. He was the biggest one. He should have been the one. He was the king. He should have been the one that said, you know what? I'm going to fight this guy. I believe the God, that God is with me and leading me, and I'm going to take this giant down. But he didn't. And David came in, and he said, I will do this. And it's a prophetic picture of David just as he killed a bear and a lion to protect his sheep. Now he was going to defend his, the sheep of Israel, God's people, from this giant. He was going to take him down as well. 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 40 says this, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So David has to fight Goliath one-on-one. -on -one. And Saul says this, listen, you're going to fight this guy in hand-to-hand -hand combat. He's been doing it a long time. He's got armor that weighs 125 pounds. You're going to need some armor here. Put this on. And David says, you know what? I'm not used to doing it this way. I'm a shepherd. I fight a little bit differently. I fight creatively. And he was a slinger. And some people think, okay, when you hear that David gathered up five stones and had a slingshot, that he got lucky. This guy was an expert marksman with that sling. And in his mind, he thought to himself, there's no way I'm going to be able to take this guy on in close quarter battle. I'm going to have to get creative. And Goliath thought he was going to come at him and they were going to fight hand to hand. 
but that wasn't what happened. David used this God-given gift of creativity and his ability to use creativity to solve challenges and problems, to go get these stones and this sling. And as he faces Goliath, Goliath rips on him and says, this is what you're bringing to me? And David winds up that sling, and we know the story. He flings that sling, hits the giant right in the forehead with a rock, and that giant falls to the ground and dies. And from that moment on, God put his hand on David's life. It was already there, but he started to elevate. He started to raise David up. And there's a story there. There's a story there that here David, all these things he was doing in the field that nobody saw, protecting one sheep, fighting a lion, fighting a bear. You can just imagine David coming home to tell his brothers, I I killed a lion today. Yeah, sure you did. (laughs) All these things he did in secret, all this integrity, all this character, all this stuff, all this warrior type stuff he did behind the scenes. Now God is finally saying, I'm going to show the world who you are, what you're capable of. If you feel that way, if you feel like, man, I've been doing so much behind the scenes, when's it going to be my time? Keep doing what you're doing behind the scenes. There will come a time where God raises you up just like he did David. David used his gift of creativity and challenge to slay a giant. This is what Corey Bauer says about it. He says, everyone, including Goliath, expected close quarters, hand-to-hand combat. David refused to play by the rules and shot Goliath from a distance. David defied the conventions of fighting, acted contrary to expectations, and so displayed ingenuity and wit. This is the kind of guy he was. And so King Saul honored David. He brought him into the palace. He honored his word to David. And David began to get wealthy, began to be known. Saul began to give him other assignments to do. And this is what 1 Samuel 18, 5 says. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Everybody loved David. Everybody respected him. You want to know why? Because no one was willing to face this giant. And David said, I'll do it. Even if it costs me my life, who does this guy think he is standing against our God? And he fought the giant and he slayed it. And then he didn't stop there. He continued to lead the way on the front lines, doing whatever was necessary to advance the kingdom of God. And people respected that and they loved that. And if you watch the story go on, Saul gets jealous of David. He begins to try to kill him. Saul ends up dying in battle along with his son Jonathan and David becomes king after years and years. So David is king, and he finally becomes king. And he's this leader that all of Israel respects, and all of Israel is like, I just can't wait for this guy to lead us because he's a guy who's on the front lines. He's a guy who's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's a man of character. He's a man of integrity. He's going to lead us back towards the things of God. God's going to have his hand on us now for the rest of our lives. Who knows what this nation's going to be capable under this guy's leadership? 
They were excited. And then this happens. 2 Samuel 11, 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in Jerusalem. It's interesting. He was the one who was out on the front lines, leading the way, fighting the battles, and he decided to stay back. You know what's interesting about this that I saw as I was doing some study this week is that when David killed Goliath, he cut off the head of Goliath. I know that's gross and weird. Sorry. But he did. The Bible says it. And he carried it around. And he brought it to Jerusalem, the Bible says. Well, Jerusalem wasn't there for 20 years after David killed Goliath. So he had that thing 20 years. And then he put it in Jerusalem, where he now is the king. And I can just imagine a little bit of pride setting in, a little bit of like, hey, I did my part. I killed this guy. See that trophy? Anyone comes in, you should be at war. See that? What do you got to show for yourself? He sends them out away to war, where he should have been. Maybe he was burned out. Maybe he was bored. Maybe he just didn't feel like the fight was that hard and he didn't need to be out there. I don't know, but he wasn't there. Something had changed in him. And then 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 5 says this, while everyone's out at war, David's back by himself. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. This is the giant of a leader that slayed Goliath, that God's hand was on. He was a man after God's own heart. Everyone's at war where he should have been. He's bored. He's at home. He's got nothing to do. That's, that's usually when things happen. When you're bored. When you stop challenging yourself. We have this need for challenge and creativity inside of us. And when we are not being creative and we are not being challenged, we allow the enemy's influence to come to our life for creativity and challenge. David sees this woman. It's not his wife. He's married. It's one of his best soldier's wife. And he's away fighting for King David. And I'm sure he wrestled with this a little bit, but he decided, I'm the king. And I'm sure the enemy was in his ear. You're the king. This is what kings do. Kings can do whatever they want. That's why you're here. That's why God gave you this position. Because you get to make the call now. Whatever you decide to do is what's best. You're the law. You're the judge. You're the jury. You can make the call. And so he makes the call. He brings up Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. So now this gift of creativity that David had that worked so well with Goliath, he begins to use in a negative way. I gotta creatively solve this problem. 
people can't know that I did this. It ruined my reputation. I don't want people to find out. So he goes and he sends for Uriah the Hittite to come home. Uriah the Hittite comes home and he tells Uriah, you've been doing such a great job, I wanted to give you a night with your wife. Go ahead and enjoy it, we'll send you back out tomorrow. Well, Uriah is such an honorable man, he doesn't go home to his wife. He thinks to himself, how could I go home to my wife when my friends are dying on the battlefield right now? Honorable man, doesn't go home. So then David's got to use his creativity a little bit more. I got to get, a dr- I got to get him drunk, and he'll go home, right? So he gets him to the palace, he gets him drunk, then he sends him home. Doesn't go home. How can I go home? My friends are dying. So David's going, I got to do something else. I got to get even more creative to solve this challenge. What does he do? He writes a note and he gives it to Uriah the Hittite and says, give this to Joab. Joab has this note and he delivers it, or I'm sorry, Uriah the Hittite has this note and delivers it to Joab. And it's literally his death certificate. He carried a death certificate, gave it to the commander, not knowing what it said because it was a sealed letter. He was an honorable man, he didn't open it. David instructed Joab to put Uriah Hittite on the front lines and then fall back and let him be killed by the enemy. And that's exactly what happened challenge and creativity. If we're not influenced by God's creative challenges, we'll be influenced by the enemy's creative challenges in our life. And this is a prime example of this happening. I want you to think about this for a minute in closing. I want, to think about, I want you to think about your need for challenge and creativity. Where is it being met in your life right now? Do you feel like you're being influenced positively by God to solve problems and be creative for his kingdom in a positive way? Or have you gotten bored where your spiritual life gotten a little stale and you've used that creativity now to do some other things, maybe negatively influencing your life and your world. See, most likely, it's when we're bored, it's when we're not challenged, it's when we don't feel creative in life that we start to go the other way. This is what happened with David, he was bored, he wasn't challenged, he was a warrior, he was a leader, he didn't have a Goliath anymore to fight. And maybe, There's times in our lives where we stop challenging ourselves spiritually. When we start saying things like, man, I've read the Bible a lot. I know what it says. I don't really need to get in God's word. Maybe it's, I I don't need to really worship and pray every day. I'm trying my best to live my life for God. And our spiritual habits begin to disappear in our life and that's when the enemy comes in and says, you know what? Maybe you should get creative and listen to some people who talk about that. This Bible's no longer the word of God. Just listen to it. I mean, just hear the other side of the argument. 
You know what, maybe some of these things that are going on in the world today, maybe it is a good, positive thing for the world. God's word, I mean, this was written a long time ago. I mean, you know, maybe those things that you don't think are so bad, or you think are so bad, maybe they're not that bad. Maybe if your wife treated you better, you wouldn't be attracted to another person at work. But she doesn't treat you good, so it's okay. Maybe, 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 maybe. And we start to buy in to these lies. And we start to get sucked in to the creativity of the enemy. And that's what gives room for us to give in to temptations. It's when we're not challenged by the God of the Bible, when we're not in his word, when we're not seeking him, when we're not moving forward, that's when we begin to question things. The enemy wastes no time in doing it. He comes right, and you see it right now in the church, a ton. I'm having more and more conversations where I have to convince people that this is actually the inspired word of God. Well, you know this and this and this and this and this. this. I I do know all of that, but I also know how this came to be. It's true, every word in it. And we either believe that or we close the doors. That's the truth. But I'm talking to so many people in the church who are now compromising values and and they're saying things like, but but I just want to love on people. And I do too. I want to love people, even the people I don't understand. I want to love them. That's what Jesus would do. But we can't compromise the truth of God's word to do it. And I'm seeing it. And God is a God of creativity, but the enemy wants to pull us away from God's creative challenge and pull us into another direction. Is that happening for you? I want you to think about that. Where is your mind on some of these things? You know, I've been reading a book that a friend of mine gave me, and it's called, uh, what's it called? It's called Discipline Equals Freedom. And it's an interesting book because in a day where uh, there's a lot of people talking about the benefits of psychology and therapy, which I 100% agree with and am in favor of, we need to figure out the reason why we behave, we behave. We need to get to the root cause of why we're doing what we're doing. That is great. That causes healing. But what I love about this guy is he's like, he just kind of says stop and just do things. It's hilarious. He, he was saying something like, how can I wake up early in the morning? And he said, wake up early in the morning. <laughs> how can I work out consistently every day? Work out consistently every day. How can I stop eating sugar? Stop eating sugar. And it was like, wow, you don't really hear that anymore. You hear about the psychology behind all these decisions that we're making and how we got to get to this root problem to solve this, to get to here, to go over here, and then we'll live a free life. But there's something, and I do believe that, but there's something about, hey, truth is true. Stop questioning it. Let's just start reading God's word again like it's true. Let's start putting it in our minds every single day. 
Let's start seeking God's face. Let's start worshiping him. Let's pray every single day. Let's ask God. Let's invite him into our lives and say, God, I don't want to do this on my own anymore. Would you come join me? I'm going into this meeting. Would you have your hand on my life? Would you speak through my mouth? Would you give me supernatural wisdom as I walk everywhere I go today? It's possible that God, the creative God, wants to challenge you to just say, listen, you're not alone. I'm with you, and I'll walk with you, and I'll talk with you, but we got to be willing to invite him in. Right. Amen. God, I need you every single day, every moment of every day. I want to depend on your wisdom and on what you're leading me to do. I want my mind to be renewed on your word, on your things, so that I walk and talk like you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this amazing gift of creativity and challenge you put inside of each and every one of us. We have a need for it. We crave it. We want to be people who are challenged and solve problems and change the world for you and in positive ways. Those are the kind of humans we want to be. That's how you've wired us. You've wired us for purpose, to do something, to make an impact here on this world. And I thank you, Lord, for that creativity. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to feed ourselves your creative content, the content in your word, that we would walk with you, we would talk with you, we would invite you in every single day to our lives, we would speak life over ourselves, we'd have scripture on our tongues, we'd be people who are now more passionate than ever about your word and about seeking your face and about knowing you and that you would lead us and guide us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys as you go. Have a great day. We're going to dismiss the service. If you need prayer of any kind, just so you know, we always have people down at this altar ready to pray for you every single Sunday. You're not alone. Come get some prayer if you need some. If not, enjoy a cup of coffee. Enjoy a donut. Enjoy your first day without football for a while. God bless you as you go.